I'm Joyita Gupta, and this is The Pulse. I'm not much of an actor, though I adore theater. My sole claim to fame was playing a tree in a high school production. But I've always admired actors, their ability to channel someone else and convincingly portray times and places other than our own. Though it's provided me an escape, nonetheless, until quite recently, I thought of the theater as an elitist space. And I am ashamed to admit that until quite recently, I also thought that actors, especially those in large-scale productions, had to be able-bodied people. Fortunately, actors with disabilities are proving my assumptions wrong every day, taking on a range of complex performances with sensitivity and tenacity, and in so doing, forever changing the definition of art and redefining who belongs in theater. Today, we discuss accessibility in theater. It's time to put your finger on the pulse. Hello and welcome to The Pulse on AMI-audio. I'm Joyita Gupta, and I'm really excited to be joining you, as I always do, from Accessible Media Studios in Toronto. My hair is in a ponytail today. I have a pair of black headphones there over the year, and I'm wearing a shirt with three-quarter length sleeves and a square neck. It's red and black with stripes. My guest today is a veteran actor, performer, playwright and director, and is being featured in this season's productions of Grand Magic and Richard II at the Stratford Festival. Debbie Patterson joins me for the very first time on the program. Debbie, hello and welcome to The Pulse. I'm so pleased we have a chance to talk today. Hi, I'm so happy to be here today. Debbie, how did you get into uh, into acting and theater? Um, I started when I was quite young doing school plays um, and that sort of thing. And then... Uh... Just after high school, I went to the National Theatre School to study uh, acting and performing. Um, I left there in uh, in the mid-80s, and I moved to Winnipeg and started um, a Shakespeare company, an outdoor Shakespeare company called um, Shakespeare in the Ruins. Um, and I worked with that company for a number of years, and then developed MS and thought I had to retire from the stage because I didn't know any other physically disabled performers who were who were working in theater. So I stopped for a little while, but then I started again. And what was that transition like for you? Did you have to rethink how you went about uh, acting, or did you have to make changes to your technique, or did you have to think about redefining or, or changing the environment to make it more inclusive for you as an actor with a disability? I realized at a certain point that there was you know, I was I was walking um, using using a cane and then using crutches, and now I'm a full time wheelchair user. Um, but when I was first walking with a cane, I realized that there was actually something really compelling about the way I moved. You know, with all my theater school training was very um, very focused on on becoming extremely versatile physically and vocally, so that you could embody any character. And and I thought that that's what I needed to be able to do in order to be, to be an actor. But when I when I started exploring the way I moved rather than rather than feeling um rather than rejecting it or feeling shame about it or or feeling like it was a problem uh approaching the the changes in my body with curiosity instead 
it allowed me to to discover what was there that was actually useful and compelling and and uh, and would would um, work well on stage, I guess. Um, and so that was that was for me that was the transition artistically was I had to I had to um, stop trying to hide my disability or work around my disability and instead uh, welcome my disability as an important aspect of my artistic exploration. And that's when it really it kind of blossomed for me in terms of in terms of what I wanted to do as an artist. And what did you want to do as an artist? Did the kinds of projects you take on evolve as your body evolved and as your artistic practice evolved? So at first, I thought I had to stop performing, so I began developing more as a playwright and a director. And both of those things have been really useful uh, going forward. Um, and then discovering that that the body I was in told a story that was important and useful in our world changed the way I approached the work I do. Um, so, so I started creating my own work more and, uh, and, and doing more writing and deciding, you know, kind of deciding what story I wanted to tell. Usually when you're an actor, you just wait for theaters to program shows and then you audition for those shows. And if you're chosen, that's the story you're telling, right? It's very, it's, it's, um, it's not as, uh, uh, intentional in terms of storytelling. So I decided to be more intentional about my storytelling. And I wrote stories and plays that would that would explore the experience of living in this body. And what I discovered through that too was that I discovered the um, the narratives around disability in our culture are quite limited. Um, and I think that's because disabled people have been kept out of our storytelling mediums for for so long. Um, and, and so often disability is treated as a problem that needs to be solved. And so a plot has to resolve with the removal of the disability. If that's the problem, then the problem has to be removed. So the removal of the disability usually means a miracle cure or the death of the disabled character. And, and I, that doesn't serve me as a disabled person. It's not a story I want to hear or that, that helps me learn how to be human, you know, and, and, and because all of us have bodies that are that are flawed and and don't always live up to what we want i i think that this this lived experience of disability holds something quite universal about what it means to be human that isn't being explored in our theater or our other storytelling media a lot of uh, companies will put on productions of Shakespeare, and I will confess that I've read Shakespeare, but never really considered it through the lens of disability, uh, which is a, a mortifying admission to admit to because I'm a person with a disability, but there you go. Uh, but you've, you've had this outdoor Shakespeare company in Winnipeg, Shakespeare in the Ruins. When you think about Shakespeare's writing and, and handling of disability, what's your analysis? I mean, Shakespeare was writing the, the worldview of, of people during Shakespeare's time was so different from ours because it, the, the I, I think the Industrial Revolution changed everything in terms of in terms of capitalism right and and capitalism and ableism are so in, intricately tied together because our worth is as humans is is so much predicated on our ability to produce or or to you know contribute to society by holding down a job which actually is just contributing to the wealth of the person who probably already has enough wealth. But that aside, um, so much of 
of our ableism in in our culture now is tied to our our um, complete uh, absorption in this in a, in a capitalist ideal, and so it's hard to understand how people approach disability in you know in other times. Um, but when I when I read, for example, Richard the Third is the is the show that most focuses on disability because the central character is a person with a disability. Um, and when, and so often it's performed or, or interpreted as, um, an evil twisted mind in an evil twisted body. And that's why he's so horrible. Right. But that's, I, I, I believe that's a contemporary take on the character. When you actually read it, it's more of a disability revenge story that this person who is very capable and who has been contributing equally with his brothers to the advancement of the family is being ignored and neglected and left out of the, you know, not, not benefiting at all from all the work he's put into, into supporting his family. And so he seeks revenge on his brothers for treating him so badly throughout his life. And that's all he sets out to do at the beginning. That's all he says he's going to do. And then he becomes, when, when he, when he gets power, he realizes that that power has to be maintained through through brutality, and is then forced to become brutal, and and has a, a a reckoning with his conscience at the end, which is quite moving. So he's not evil and twisted from the beginning. He's not a character beyond redemption from the very beginning. He's he's a person with a disability who has been neglected and overlooked and ignored and and taken for granted. And whose character evolves as well. I mean, he's not just, you know, a static, one-dimensional character, which is often what you see in more contemporary portrayals of people with disabilities. There's a, a degree of nuance there that I think we've we've lost out on on subsequent depictions of people with disabilities. If I'm not much mistaken, uh, you had actually had a chance to consult on the production of Richard III at the Stratford Festival uh, as a dramaturg. What exactly does that role entail, and what did you do in in your capacity. So I worked with the the actor who was playing Richard who was not disabled and and talked to him about my lived experience of disability and how how um different things that people say affect me how different uh just just how how I interact with the world because of my disability or through my disability. But I also worked with the director to uh highlight areas in the in the text that I thought spoke to disability, um, even in stage directions, you know, or, or when, you know, at the end of a scene, Richard says, you go ahead and I'll follow, you know, and, and maybe he doesn't, you know, he knows that he can't walk as fast as they can. He doesn't want the, uh, a humiliation of having people waiting for him or, or doesn't want people to watch him. Or to show vulnerability. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I also worked with all the other actors in the production because, because the, uh, the actor playing Richard III is a very high-status uh, member of the artistic community, and and I wanted to make sure they weren't treating him as a high-status person at the beginning of the play. At the beginning of the play, Richard is is a nobody. There's no way he becomes king, but nobody sees it coming because he's disabled. What can he possibly accomplish? Right? They're they they're operating from their own assumptions about disability, and it's and it's. And he uses that assumption to, to, to uh, take them by surprise in a way. 
exactly. And of course, as you say, no one saw it coming. Uh, now you're performing again. You're uh, performing in two plays in this uh, in this Stratford season. Tell us a little bit about the plays you're performing in and what roles you're specifically taking on. Sure. So I'll talk about Grand Magic first. It's a play by Eduardo Di Felipe. It's an amazing script. It's so hard to describe because it's unlike any other play I've ever been part of. The, the structure of it is is so unusual. But for my role, I'm at the very beginning. I'm in the first act, which takes place in a resort in uh, in near Naples. Um, and and I'm at the beginning of the play. I'm playing cards on the patio with two other women and my daughter. And we're, uh, we're gossiping about the other people at the resort. And we basically do all the exposition and set up the whole, set up the whole play. Um, we, we talk about different themes that will be relevant later in the play. Uh, it's, it's kind of like, it's almost like a prologue that sets up everything that's going to come. And, uh, and what I love about it is that the character is not written as a disabled person. She just happens to be a very wealthy, uh, woman from Naples who's at a resort with her daughter, enjoying, you know, enjoying the fresh air, enjoying the company of her friends and having a laugh. And it's, it's never uh, commented on, it's never highlighted, it's just, it just is, which is what I love about it, right? That it just gets to be the character's given circumstances. It's not a problem. It's not an issue that needs to be solved. It just is. And that's really powerful because, you know, it's it's time we had that that shift in our thinking about disability where it didn't receive the spotlight in productions, where everybody was pointing to it and focused on it, that it just was. I mean, for a long time, we've had women playing men in the theater. And now, you know, it's not really commented upon in the way that it was when the practice first began. What about your other production? Tell me a little bit more about your role. You're playing the Duchess of York. The the big scene that I have, uh, my... my uh... My sons uh, committed a treason, and and his father is going to the king to to out him, to accuse him, so that he will be executed. And I'm going to the king to petition on his behalf, to plead for his life, basically. So, so in that in that uh, role, I uh, I go to the king and I and I, I make a speech about how I'm going to. I'm on my knees and I'm going to stay on my knees. I'll never stand up. I'll never get up from my knees until you pardon my son. And and he pardons him. And so in order to do that, this, um, because I'm in a wheelchair and I can't get in and out of the chair unassisted, there are these angel characters who are part of the, part of the whole aesthetic of the production who are sort of Richard's, Richard's angels. And so they... They support me in getting up out of the chair and onto my knees and then getting back into the chair. That's really powerful. So it's almost as if uh, the forces of Richard's love for, for my son are helping me petition the king, save his life. Sorry, uh, you'll excuse an ignorant question, but are the angels a part of the original script or was that, a, uh, was that written in, uh, in this interpretation? That's, that's written in. That's a directorial concept. 
That's fascinating. That is really fascinating. Uh, in terms of what we see on the stage, uh, and look, I mean, I, I love going to Stratford. I, I go up just about every summer. I haven't been able to this summer, I'm sad to say. But uh, it's, it's a great place to go if you're someone who's visually impaired. Um, they have a very generous program to support uh, someone coming with a guide. Uh, they give you the opportunity to sit up front. Uh, it's really quite welcoming to a patron with a disability in a lot of ways. What's it been like uh, as an actor with a disability? What's the behind the scenes like? Well, the Tom Patterson Theater is, is brand new. It's only the second season. And so it was built with access in mind, unlike most theaters. Um, so the, the entire building is, is completely accessible. The only, even there's, there's even an elevator that takes you up to the level where the grid is, where the lighting is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. That's so cool. The only room that isn't accessible is the trap room, which is the room under the stage. So if, if an actor is entering up through the trap, trap door in the stage, that's, that's inaccessible. But it's accessible if you go down the trap, because that's like a little elevator. So, so it's the only, the only room that isn't accessible is the trap room. But everything else is completely accessible. And, and while I've been there, they've installed more door openers and grab bars in my dressing room and, and uh, in different places for me to use. But we know access is more than grab bars and door openers and ramps. You know, uh, it was funny. I, was, I can't remember which one it was. Was it Of Mice and Men, I think? Uh, and we had gone to watch a production of Of Mice and Men. And then we'd gone to the Tim Hortons for a coffee. And there was the actor riding off on his bike. And I think sometimes we lose track of the fact that actors actually live in Stratford, too. I mean, you're there for months rehearsing and putting on a performance. Uh, you know, both your productions will be running from, from June to September. You're going to be at Stratford for a good long time. What sort of a community is it to live in? How accessible is it? Well, it's it's pretty accessible, although like any town, uh, the wheelchair transit situation is not great um, because it's 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 in so much demand and so underfunded that uh, if you want to make sure you can get somewhere, you have to book your rides uh, a week in advance, and it's it's certainly not um, not not convenient for you know running errands or, or, you know, if your rehearsal schedule changes or anything, if anything changes, uh, it's not convenient. So I, I did have to buy a van in order to be here, but otherwise I'm finding the, the town quite accessible. And I also find that people are really friendly. Is it just me? Maybe, you know, because I'm a visitor, maybe they're nice to me because I'm just in and out. But I've actually find that people are really friendly and warm in Stratford, which at least as, as from my perspective as a person with a disability makes a huge difference. Even if, you know, things aren't always accessible, if people are friendly and they're willing to try and work with you, that can really, that can really be a game changer. Yeah, it can. And they, you're right, they are very friendly and very welcoming Almost all the businesses have uh, ramps that you can get in and out of their building. Um, if their washroom isn't accessible, they usually know where there is one that's accessible but, and have a relationship with another business owner where you can use their washroom. I'm really curious because I admire the actors uh, who perform at Stratford. I think it's just, I am so blown away. What does a typical day look like for you? Oh, right now it's, it's uh, pretty smooth. So right now I'm in performances. So when I have a show... It's about five hours. I go, I go to the theater and at least an hour and a half early and I do a vocal warm-up and then I have a wig and makeup and costume uh, and then we do the show. And both my shows are quite long. They're both uh, almost, well, two and a half, 
or a little more, two and a half hours or a little more long. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I have two shows in one day, which makes for a long day. Usually I just have one show a day. That's not so bad. I mean, the tough bit is behind you, right? The rehearsing, the memorizing lines, that bit is done now. I I should have, I wanted to ask you a bit about wardrobe because the wardrobes are absolutely beautiful and so elaborate. Did they need to make any modifications to the wardrobe uh, for you once you started to play uh, the two roles that you're playing? Well, I'll talk about the wheelchairs first because I use different, I don't use my own chair in the shows. So. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Um. Well, Grand Magic is set in the 50s, right? So so I have an old-fashioned wooden wheelchair with um, with the casters, the, the, the turny casters at the back and the big wheels at the front, sort of the opposite of a contemporary wheelchair. And a lot of adjustments had to be made to that chair to make it usable um, just because, uh, it, you know, it was designed for, for a person to be pushed around primarily and to maybe make adjustments, but generally to be pushed around by someone else. So that chair had to go through a number of adjustments. Uh, and we worked. I worked together with the, uh, the props crew to, to create a chair that, that would be perfect for me. Um, and then in Richard III, I used a contemporary chair, but, but we originally wanted to uh, lift me up in the chair and have some kind of spinning wheels while I was up in the air. And that ended up not working out just in terms of the time it took to achieve that look. So, um, so we didn't end up doing that, but, but we use a, so it's, it's a contemporary chair. It's much like my own, but it doesn't have my cup holder and my backpack and and the road (laughs) dirt that my chair has. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And what about the actual wardrobe? I mean, the, uh, it's uh, the costumes. Yes. So, um, for Richard III, I have these beautiful boots that were made for me. So I wear an AFO on one of my feet. Um, just It helps me keep my foot on the footrest of my wheelchair. Um, and when I don't have it on, it's, it's my, my, my foot. Wait, is what just... is an AFO? Oh, sorry, an ankle foot orthotic. It keeps my foot uh, bent at a 90-degree angle uh, so that my, my toe doesn't point. And that helps keep my foot on the footrest. Um, so I'm not wearing my AFO in the shows because it's not aesthetically pleasing. So I, I had boots built for for Richard the Third, or Richard the Second, um, which are amazing, and I I don't get to wear boots anymore because of my AFO. So it's pretty thrilling to have these gorgeous shimmery silver boots that I get to wear. Are they going to let you take those home with you? <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to ask for sure. That's amazing. Uh, hey, it sounds like it's been a lot of fun, and uh, I wish you. All the best with both your productions. I know they're wrapping up at the end of September, and I hope to have a chance to come down to Stratford and check you out in person. Great. I would love to see you here. That was Debbie Patterson, actor, playwright, and director, who appears in uh, Richard II and Grand Magic, both put on by the Stratford Festival. That's all the time we have for today. If you have any feedback for us, you can write us at feedback at ami.ca. Give us a call at 1-866-509-4545. That's 1-866-509-4545. Don't forget to leave permission to play the audio on the program. You can also find us on Twitter at AMI-audio. Use the hashtag PulseAMI. And if you want to find me on Twitter, I'm at Juita Gupta. The videographer today has been Matthew McGurk. Mark Aflalo is technical producer. Ryan Delahanty is coordinator for podcasts at AMI-audio. Andy Frank is manager at AMI-audio. I've been your host, Chuita Gupta.
Thanks for listening.